I want to begin on Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. This being the first day of the week was the third day since Jesus died on the cross. So as the day was just beginning to dawn, the two women set out to go see the tomb. As was the custom, the women would bring spices to anoint the dead body. They were unable to do this on the day before since one could not buy spices on the Sabbath. This being the third day now, they had brought sweet spices to anoint the decaying body and cover up the stench that would have begun to emanate from this enclosed tomb, especially from a body that was covered in blood and sweat and dirt. We see this prophetically proclaimed in Isaiah 52, verse 14. It says, Just as there were many who were appalled at Him, speaking of Jesus prophetically, His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and His form was marred beyond human likeness. This was the scene. So unattractive as it was, that women were sent to do this task and anoint the body. Yet indeed it was because of their willingness to do this lowly job that these women were the first to see the resurrection. Thus let us remember that, that we, as we willingly attend to the mundane and the lowly tasks in life, thinking that we serve little purpose in the big scheme of things. For it is often in these tasks where few others are willing to serve that we open ourselves up for the miraculous. Jesus, Jesus often comes where we least expect Him that He might appear with the greatest contrast, truly coming as a light in the darkness. Whatever your lot be in life, attend to it with willingness, refusing to be defined as unneeded by the world's standards. Instead, live with great expectancy at all times, knowing that in God's eyes He has you right where He needs you, meeting the needs of one of His precious children, and preparing the world for His glorious return. Matthew 28, verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Once again, there was a powerful earthquake. A violent exchange as heaven's hand pierced the earthly realm. What am I talking about once again? Would you recall the fascinating events that transpired when heaven's force violently entered the scene as Jesus died on the cross? Let me take you back there to Matthew 27, verse 50. It says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up His Spirit on the cross. The last thing heard from Jesus was a deafening cry as He gave up His Spirit. Surely this sound and the images of His beaten and disfigured body had now been seared into the minds of those who attended to Him at the cross. This is what His mother and John had to walk away with. A cry of anguish instead of words of comfort and strength. This cry and this picture of their beaten Lord was now conflicting their minds with all other treasured experiences that they had with Him and of Him. Yet as awful as these sights and sounds were, it is what role they played in their minds that was even more despairing. 
as it surely pushed out all hope of His coming kingdom from their thoughts. You see, His followers didn't just lose their greatest friends and teacher and defender and comforter. They lost all hope of the coming kingdom of God, which had seemed to have been right within their grasp. It was these violent scenes and the mocking in public of their king without him fighting back that played a role in causing them to forget all that Jesus had told them that all these events would occur. Surely as their hopes were suddenly crushed and nothing made sense, they were unable to recall how He had told them that He would rise on the third day. But this deafening cry had brought them to a sudden reality as Jesus' life expired on the cross. And of these events, God would not remain silent. For as Jesus' work of atonement on earth was completed, the first mighty shaking began. Matthew 27, verse 51. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. That was God's message. From the top to the bottom. And the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. When Jesus breathed His last and died on the cross, the first mighty earthquake shook the land and the temple, startling and unsettling all who had witnessed these events. This surely was a message from heaven. For when Jesus gave His life as a ransom for many and said, it is finished, something fantastic happened in the temple. The shaking tore through the Holy of Holies, ripping the curtain from the top to the bottom, and thus opening the way for all to access the presence of the Lord. Through this mighty shaking, God made a way for a man to approach God. For until this time, only the high priest was allowed to go behind the veil where the presence of God could be sought. Thus, God's response to the death of His Son was this first shaking. Yet there is still much more to this first earthquake being symbolic in more ways than one as we see what happens next. Matthew 27, verse 52 and 53. And the graves, this is when Jesus was crucified on the cross, and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after His resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. See, as this earthquake shook the land, the graves were opened, splitting rock tombs and opening the graves of saints who had passed away. Yet this incredulous event was just the first part of a twofold sequence that every born-again believer experiences. You see, though the tombs were split and the graves were opened at the time of His crucifixion, these resurrected saints did not come out of the graves until after His resurrection and after the second shaking. What does this mean for us? It explains the shaking that takes place when a soul is converted and a life is transformed through salvation. And just as these graves were shaken and three days passed before they too left their tombs after Christ's resurrection, each of these three days represents another part of the shaking that must take place before a new life is resurrected. 
The first work of God in our lives is at the time of conviction, when the core of our foundation is shaken. In order to receive Christ anew, we have to be unsettled. The foundation that we have built our life upon up to this point has to be broken. It has to be dismantled. Christ is not added to our foundation. He has to become our one and only foundation. Therefore, there must be a shaking in our temple that breaks our pride, our unwillingness to trust, our doubts, our fears, our beliefs of self-sufficiency. We must be rattled to the core where everything that we have rested and built our life upon is torn asunder. This is the shaking represented by the earthquake at the time of Christ's death on the cross. This occurs when the Holy Spirit brings personal conviction in three areas. Jesus taught about this trifold conviction when the Holy Spirit comes. John 16, verse 8 says, And when He has come, speaking of the Holy Spirit, and when He has come, He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. You see, when we are convicted of sin, we understand that we have truly missed the mark and have sinned against God and others in word and thought and deed. We realize we have broken our relationship with God and those He has put in our life. This conviction shakes our pride thinking that we had been okay, only to realize that now how broken we really are. It produces a sorrow in us that we have not only let down God our Father, but we have broken our relationship with Him by letting sin take the place where love was meant to reign. This shaking intensifies as the Holy Spirit next convicts us of righteousness. What does that mean? It means when we realize that our, our righteousness, our own personal righteousness, is not good enough to reach God who desires perfection. The crack deepens in our foundation of security. You mean all the good things I was trying to do will not get me to heaven? No. In fact, the Bible says that our righteousness is like dirty rags or filthy rags to God. We cannot reach heaven on our own because of our righteousness. Our sorrow is now replaced with despair, realizing we cannot earn our way back into His kingdom. We cannot do enough good to balance out the bad. We cannot stand before a perfect and holy God with sin in our hearts. The conviction of our tainted righteousness shakes the confidence we had kept in our minds, assuming that we'll, we'll always get a second chance, won't we? But the truth of this conviction speaks otherwise. There is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves, to repair this breach that we have now have with the Lord. And then the third and final part of the Holy Spirit-led conviction is of eternal judgment. This is where we realize that all sin must be judged because God must remain a righteous judge and keep all sin from His presence. This conviction shakes us to the core and we realize that our choice to sin can keep us eternally separated from God. This ultimate breaking puts us in a place where we are completely broken and desperately cry out for God and God alone to save us. This is true repentance. Where we are not merely sorry that we were caught for our sins 
or that we let God and others down. But we are truly shaken to the core and understand that the utter despair we face if God does not come to our rescue. There is no other way. It must be God and it must be Him alone. Alas, this is the cry that God waits for. To know that your false foundation is fully broken down. It is this utter brokenness that brings a great and holy fear of God to all who witness it personally, as we see at the crucifixion. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-four. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. There is no mistaking when God reaches down from heaven and shakes the core of one who has cried out to His one and only Savior. There is no greater testimony or greater witness than a broken life that is sincerely changed by Christ. Look around you. There are many lives that were once broken that have been changed and redeemed by Jesus Christ. Amen? Thus, when the breaking of a soul reaches this place, of crying out to God. It is time for the second shaking to occur when God intercedes by His power to resurrect the dead and broken soul with a new life to fully forgive you of all your sins if you come to Him in repentance. It is this second shaking that God meets the soul at its point of desperation and miraculously brings about a new birth, sending shockwaves through the earth. This is how we identify with the great resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, verses 2 and 3. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and His clothing was as white as snow. As Jesus rose from the dead, another earthquake rumbled through the land, opening the tomb and bringing eternal access for all who humbly come to Christ. The breach had been repaired in the most amazing and personal way with an angel of the Lord signifying the importance of this second shaking. What a scene. The earthquake. The angel. The open tomb. It was too much to take in all at once for everything indeed was shaken. Matthew 28, verse 4. And the guards shook for fear of Him and became like dead men. The physical surroundings were shaken as the earth shook and fear struck all the guards to their core. They became like dead men as their strength failed them. See, as God shakes every foundation that man attempts to stand upon, it becomes perfectly clear that nothing can stand against the power of Christ in the resurrection. God's glory shook both heaven and earth as the spiritual realm pierced its earthly surroundings with an angel of God going from unseen to clearly being seen. And the previous reality of death had now been overcome in the most glorious and beautiful of ways as the Son of God has now defeated death 
and hell and the grave by becoming the first fruits of resurrected, resurrected life. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 says, But now Christ, risen from the dead, and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He made a way for us as our Good Shepherd. It is this truth that we cling to, knowing that as we undergo our own shaking and allow our earthly foundations to be completely shaken, we too will join Him in eternity. And the sign of our new birth is the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14, In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. That's us. To the praise of His glory. You see, when we come and repent and turn to Jesus and ask Him to forgive us our sins and He cleanses our life, He gives us the Holy Spirit as a deposit to help us understand what's going on, to open our eyes to what the living Word means, to keep us secure and to keep us founded on Him. That's our deposit, our guarantee until we get to heaven. Thus, the dual shakings of God make ready a soul and bring life to a mortal body to receive the promise of eternity with God. This is how Christ comes on the scene. For His resurrection to the world and to those who become born again and receive Him anew. And only to those who have all their realms shaken, all their foundations unsettled, and all certainties have become undone, only to them is the power of the redemption and resurrection realized. How have you been shaken? How have you been shaken in this past year? The whole world indeed has been shaken. God has not caused it, but He has certainly allowed it to happen. What has He shaken in your life? What have you rested your assurance upon? What have you rested your sufficiency upon? Is it possible that God allowed all this shaking so that you would be down, broken to the core so that you could receive Him anew? So that you could stand fully and wholly on Him, on His perfect foundation? These women on that first Resurrection Sunday witnessed the glory of God firsthand as they came to see the tomb. Matthew 28, 5 and 6. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen. He said, Come, see where the place the Lord lay. Verse 7, And go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead. And indeed, He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see Him. Behold, I have told you. Verse 8, So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring His disciples' word. Verse 9, And as they went to tell His disciples, Behold, Jesus met them. Rejoice! So they came and held Him by the feet and worshipped Him. Jesus meets each of us personally 
when we go out with great joy to tell others of Him, of what He has done in our life when we thought all hope was lost, when we were broken, when we were completely convicted. That's the joy that we share. How do I know He's alive? Because He lives in me and He lives in you. And a life is changed. And hope has been redeemed and renewed and restored. That's the message that we have to tell to this world. And they are hungry for that Word this day. Jesus gives us the promise of the glorious life. This is the true power of this day. It is not about the baskets and the bunnies or the eggs and the candy. It is about Jesus, our personal Savior, who gave His life, who rose from the dead, and established for us an incorruptible and everlasting foundation. In Him we trust and put all our hope. He is the rock of our salvation. Glory be to God. Our Savior lives. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the promise in Your Word. We thank You that for the Holy Spirit to quicken this truth to us, to experience this, to understand what You have gone through, to demonstrate Your perfect love for each one of us. And God, even right now as we sense You even speaking to us through Your Word today, if there are parts of us that are unsettled, if there are parts of us that You are touched with Your Word, continue to unsettle us. Bring us to a place where we come to the end of ourselves. Where we realize that we need You and You alone. God, You don't shame us. You don't tell us I told you so. You just ask us to come to You. To receive You in all Your glory. To be forgiven of our sins. So Lord God, as we reflect on today's message and our next song, continue to work on our hearts that we can receive the resurrection in its full joy.